0: Hi, I'm Kenzie. I'm Jamie. And this is the Codependent Codependent Podcast. Podcast.
1: And we are meeting with two
0: very special guests today. Everybody has been so excited. We, um, you guys know if you're on our Facebook page, we talked about having Vanessa and Xander Marin on our podcast and um, everybody was saying their two favorite podcasts are colliding. So we are really excited to have you guys on. What's Um, so funny is Jamie,
1: before we even had started our podcast, we were driving up to Utah, yeah. and she was like, "I have to put this podcast on. You're gonna love them." And it was you guys, and so we've been big fans for such a long time. Yes. We're so excited oh that you guys. Oh, here.
2: That is so sweet. We love to hear that. I'm sure, as you guys know, like sometimes you record podcasts and it can be a little lonely. You're just sitting there in a room with a microphone. You're like. I hope people like this. (gasps) Like is (laughs) there Yeah, yeah, is there there real people
1: like (laughs) listening? It's actually funny. We went to a live podcast show on Sunday this week and they were saying the exact same thing because somebody asked, What's been like the height and like the best moment of having a podcast? And they were like, the live shows, because then you put like a face
0: to the people listening. And we feel like... And you feel like, you're like, oh my gosh, I actually do have an audience of people that listen every single week, but you don't feel that. Like you don't, you don't see it. And I feel like on
1: Instagram or TikTok or social media platforms, you get response right away. So you post a story, you post a reel, you post a video and you get a response of comments and messages back to you.
0: But on the podcast, it's not so much like that. Well, and it takes, yeah, by the time you record and get it out, it takes time. So... So
1: Anyway, we get it. (laughs) Yes. But why don't we just start with um, you guys going ahead and introducing yourselves, where you're from, what you do, and what your podcast is about?
2: Yeah, so we are Vanessa and Xander Marin. I'm a licensed psychotherapist, and I specialize in sex therapy.
3: I'm Xander Marin. I'm, I'm her husband, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm the regular dude here. Um, I don't have any training when it comes to sex therapy other than, you know, living with my sex therapist wife. Hey, that's for, uh, You know, 15 years or so. But um, yeah, I used to work in the corporate world, and then one day realized it's a lot more fun to sit around and talk about sex at home with your wife all day uh, and make a business out of it. So here I am.
2: Yeah, so we help couples keep the spark alive in their long term relationships and really want to help people just take like the the awkwardness, the embarrassment out of intimacy, recognize we all have sex. Yep. There's an, you know it's a totally normal natural part of all of our lives. Yep. So we just we love, love normalizing things, things and helping people have, people have more fun in the bedroom. I love it. So we it. have yeah, our podcast Pillow Talks, we have a bunch of online guides and courses like foreplay guides, next level intercourse, we have sex challenges. So we really try to make sex feel like this fun, approachable, playful thing rather than something we're all so scared and embarrassed about.
1: Was there one thing that got you interested in sex therapy? Um, Was that something you always, like, when you went to college, you knew for a fact that's what you wanted to do? Or was there some sort of course of something that happened that got you interested in it?
3: Oh, it it was before before college. (laughs) That's
1: awesome. It was
2: yeah so it was getting the talk from my parents my parents (laughs) trying to give me the talk um so i was about 11 or 12 at the time and i remember my parents you know very awkwardly bringing it up and it wasn't really so much a talk all they said was if you have any questions about sex like you can ask us but it was really clear in that moment they're saying that I can ask questions, but they do not want me to ask so <laughs> Like, <questions>.
0: actually don't. <laughs> and I,
2: Yeah. I was like, you, you don't want me to. And I did have a lot of questions. You know, there was stuff that I was like hearing from my friends at school and I wanted to be able to talk to them. And in that moment, it just really struck me of like, why are my parents so embarrassed? Like, is this something embarrassing? Should I not want to talk about it? and i had no clue that sex therapy was a possible career i was definitely not thinking of careers at 11 years <laughs> yes. old but that moment really stuck with me and i kept coming back to it as i got older of like why is it so embarrassing to talk about sex
0: yes no that's that's amazing i actually applaud your parents because even at 11 that is still young like definitely. i don't my parents maybe said something the night before my wedding so it's mm. like uh-huh. <laughs> like 11 i
1: i remember getting the just don't have sex. The talk. Don't have
0: sex talk at, at like 16. At that, 16. That was the talk we got. A little too late.
1: But <laughs> no, I, I think that's really important. I think that's a really cool, like turning point of being like, that's something that you want to do with your life. Yeah. That, that's,
0: that's so cool. I, I love that story.
1: So how, so tell us about your training with, um, getting licensed as a sex therapist. How many years of school was that? And how long have you been kind of doing what you've been doing?
2: So I had to figure it out. There isn't really a career path, like a defined path to becoming a sex therapist. And so I struggled with this for a while, figuring out... What sort of training do I want and how do I like get this foundation to be able to help people? So I did end up in my undergraduate. Um, I went to Brown and at the time it was one of three or four schools in the country that had a a degree in human sexuality. So I majored in that in undergrad and then I decided to go back to grad school and get my master's degree in psychology because I wanted that that therapeutic background to be able to talk to people and, and help coach people. So, I originally, once I got licensed as a therapist, I originally started p- seeing people one on one, like kind of that traditional therapy model. And my practice filled up really quickly. I was talking about the same things over and over again. And I kept thinking, like, there's such a limit to how many people I can work with one on one. And how do I get this information to more people? Because I'm seeing the effects it's having, all the progress people are making. And ended up kind of stumbling into the world of online courses and realized like very quickly, this is such a great fit because somebody doesn't have to be brave enough to go into an office and talk, you know, one-on-one, face-to-face with a stranger about the most intimate details of your life. Totally. (laughs) Instead, I could just, you know – give, you know, give things to people online and they could do the exercises and listen to the, you know, assignments and stuff like that in their own time. So that took off really quickly. And Xander actually started working with me initially just totally on the back end to help like kind of be my operations manager, yeah. figure out all the logistics of everything while I worked on the content. And I just had this feeling, like that was mm-hmm. back in 2016. I just had this feeling. I was like, you know, my therapy training told me I don't talk about myself with my clients, right? Like in therapy, your your therapist is not Oh, yeah. There, about yeah, there's, right? there's <laughs> boundaries.
0: Kenzie has a degree yeah. in Psych. psychology and I have a degree
2: in social work. And so
0: we we're Definitely very aware that's that. something, yeah, you keep yes, to yourself. Yeah, it's
2: like we don't share ourselves. But yep. I just kept thinking – this is such a vulnerable issue and I think we need people we to need, talk about yeah. this more openly 100%. and us as a couple like I think that there's a value in us being able to say hey we've been together for years. We know what it's like to have ups and downs. We know what it's like to feel awkward and embarrassed with each other even though we've been together for years and so I kept bugging him like hey will you like do some content with me like make some videos do an Instagram story, and..." I'll let you share your what your reaction yes. was initially.
3: <laughs> yeah, I mean I I I'll be honest, I have I had a lot of resistance at first. Like it, you know, the, just the idea of like opening up to to God knows who like was <laughs> was intimidating. Um but also i just felt like well who who really cares about what i have to say like she's she's the one with all the training she's the one with all the experience like i'm just this guy that used to work in tech and now i make like spreadsheets and do like marketing (laughs) automation for her and you know what, what do i really have to bring to the table but like vanessa said it was like once i started you know jumping in in a few places I realize that people really do want that kind of regular person's experience because it's one thing to get advice from someone who's a professional, and you're like, okay, well, that's what you've been taught, right? Like, but it's another thing to hear it from someone, who's like a that's life like, experience. Yeah, I've been, yeah. Th- Yeah. Like I've, I've been through this. Here's what I struggled with. And here's exactly what I did. Not like, here's what the books tell us to do, or here's what I tell my clients to do. So yeah, we started getting really good feedback about that. And, you know, I started feeling more comfortable like, oh, people actually want to hear from me. Maybe I do have something to offer something to share. And from there, we, everything just picked up steam.
0: Oh yeah. I, I really love the dynamic of having a husband and a wife and, I think that a lot of people, especially husbands who who do feel awkward or ashamed or they don't want to talk about it, um, to have, like, a guy in there to tell them, like, hey, been there, done that, like, it's okay and you can feel yeah. comfortable. I feel like girls, like, almost chat about, like,
1: Sex more than boys do, and so I like, feel like the small chat. Yeah, not like, like I the, would talk to you about it, yes. but like I feel like guys wouldn't talk to each other about it. So to hear it from another guy on a podcast and not, like you said, have and to on go Instagram, in, yeah, to an office and like give all of your fears and everything that you've been doing to somebody. Instead, you can just listen to it and relate. I think that's, I think it like makes it so much better to have like a husband and a wife on like the same page. It's really cool what yeah. you guys do. No,
0: that's awesome.
3: Absolutely. I mean, I think guys do chit chat about sex a bit, but it's always in the context of like, of like, oh yeah, like I know exactly what I'm doing. Oh yeah, we did it. It was so good. It's like, like an extreme sugar coating of it. And like, there's, I've never had like a sex conversation with like my guy friends where it was like, yeah, like we actually didn't have very good sex. Like I wasn't sure what I was doing or like it didn't work the way I wanted it to. It's like you know you only share you 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 share a very filtered version of things, and it creates this idea that like I have to be really good at it. Like yep. my whole sexual identity is built around like knowing exactly what I'm doing, and what that ends up meaning is that we don't really want to try new things because if we try something new, we might not be very good fail. at yeah. it. We- Yeah, we might fail, and so you know, I had my own hangups early on about talking about it. So I'm like, wait, I know exactly what I'm doing, but in a very limited area. (laughs) So part of it was (laughs) (laughs) part of it was just me acknowledging, yeah, like I, I don't know everything. I do have to try new things. I do have to acknowledge the areas where maybe I'm not so skilled or I'm I don't I don't feel comfortable. And but once you start doing that, it actually it feels really good, and you feel a lot more like, oh, okay, cool. I'm I'm allowed to try stuff. I'm allowed to. To bumble around with things like everybody does. <laughs> yep.
0: Yeah, totally. No, I, I love that. Um, and you mentioned Vanessa earlier about your courses and that's something that we kind of wanted to get into because a lot of the questions we had were very specific. Um, a lot weren't as well, which those are the ones we're going to kind of touch on. But the very specific ones, I know that people would learn so much from your courses. So um, if you guys want to introduce like, your courses, I know you have quite a few. But if you want talk about, to talk about them and just kind of introduce a small thing about what they are, because I feel like a lot of our audience will, will be able to, they have those uh, very specific questions, can relate to one of the courses.
2: Yeah, absolutely I'd love to so a lot of our courses focus on technique because kind of similar to what Xander was saying I think all of us want to be good in bed like we want to feel like we're good at sex but if you really think about like where do we learn how to be good right like we might see scenes on tv and movies but they're just like fleeting little scenes you don't really get a picture of what's going on you can watch porn but we all know like that's not realistic not what real yeah. sex looks like <laughs> Um, so, we really want to just like be able to give people practical resources of learning how to get great in bed and make it feel like something that's fun, not like, oh, you really suck at sex. So, here's this guy. I <laughs> should yes. read this, honey. <laughs> you know? So, um, our most popular thing that we have is our foreplay guides, and they teach you how to use your hands and your mouth on your partner and really step-by-step, like illustrated, detailed, different techniques of like do exactly this. Um, So we really break it down for people and make it feel fun. Um, We also have Next Level Intercourse, which talks about intercourse in particular. So we polled our audience on Instagram. We asked, if you're a woman in a relationship with a man, is intercourse your favorite activity like from a pleasure perspective yes 91 yeah. percent of women said no does so not 91 percent of women yeah. yeah are not really getting a ton of enjoyment out of intercourse so when we saw that we're like we have to make a guy we have to <laughs> make a guy there has <laughs> to be <wonderful."> more people <laughs> Yeah, so this is all about making intercourse in particular pleasurable and satisfying for both partners. So it's tips for how to really focus more on female pleasure during intercourse, different positions, how to like transition in between positions and um, just make it feel like this really fun experience. So those are our two two of our most popular ones Um we also have a 30-day sex challenge, which is giving you every every day for 30 days, you get an email with, like, fun things to try in the bedroom together. I love
1: that. So it's
2: like, yeah, it's like we all, you know, we've all heard the advice, like, you got to keep spice it up in the bedroom or yes. right? like try new things, right? So like we all know that, but then when we get in the moment and you're like, think of something new to try. Think yeah. of something new to try. You freeze up. <laughs> we get really like scared and yeah, you just like can't think of anything. So we kind of solve that problem of like, well, we will give you the ideas and you get this, it becomes this kind of exciting surprise every day of opening your email. Like, Ooh, what are we going to do today? And so that, that's and, super and that,
0: um, the 30 day sex challenge, you guys run that, um, like only certain times, right? Like,
2: yeah, we we did that this year. Next year, I think it might be open for the full year. Okay, yes, I love also. it. So are they? <laughs> yeah, are they so like that's... is it intercourse every night or is it different? Like small, no. like small yeah. acts. So there are actually two options that you get. One is a sensual challenge and one is a more explicit sexual challenge. So we want, you know, for a lot of people, it's like 30 days of intercourse. Oh, my God. So we wanted to take the pressure off of intercourse. And we also wanted to give ideas that people could do like – you know it's a Wednesday night you forgot about the challenge until 10 p.m you're like oh god do we have to do it and so the the sensual challenge is something that you could do in like five minutes so it might be like it could even be a question so it's like a communication or just like a simple way that you're touching each other it's like a a, an easier kind of more bite-sized moment of connection and then the sexual one is something that might be more like foreplay or intercourse kind of specific. Yeah,
3: but actually the vast majority of the sexual challenges are not intercourse. Like you can obviously add Mm -hmm. intercourse pretty much any of them should you want to do that but I think there's only one or two that are specifically mm-hmm. like about penetration
0: okay that's, that's, awesome. that's awesome I love that I know I, I was looking at it and I was gonna get it but it had closed like the day after so I was like I wanted to know if you guys run it like more than <laughs> more than that so I'm I'll we'll hook you up <laughs> I was like,
2: can you email me please
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: um yeah. Uh, yeah. And then one other thing I want to just quickly yes. mention yes. too is we have a book that's coming out I in February. Saw it. I have it on pre-order. I'm ready. Oh my nice. gosh. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah, we are pushing those pre-orders. Um we wrote this book. It's about five conversations that every couple should have about sex. And like our guides, it really walks you through like exactly what to say and when. Cause very similar to sex, a lot of us like, struggle with communication, and I'm like, where did we learn how to talk? So we wanted to write this book for couples. There's also not a single book about how to talk to your partner about sex. A lot about how to talk to your kids about sex. Wow. Not wow. a single book about how to talk to your partner. And it's like, this is the most universal thing that we do in relationships. Mm-hmm. So um, – yeah, we are. We realized we have learned in the book writing process that pre-orders are like the most important thing for a book's success. So, if any of your listeners want to go to sextalksbook.com, if you pre-order the book, we're giving away a ton of like really valuable goodies and awesome. little, some of our I guides actually. So that yeah. is so yeah, cool. Yeah, and yeah,
3: you may even you may even get a, a nice uh, discount perhaps in. <laughs> February-ish when we do something really fun around the sex challenge.
0: Hey, I, hey, I that. love Are that. You, um, oh, wow. I just spaced on my... The eight. book, when I pre order it, it's on Amazon. But do you think the best way then is to go to the sextalks.com? Is that what you said?
2: We have, yeah, we have links to all the major retailers there. So, yeah, you just have to, like, input your information. Send you all the free we'll, stuff. We'll put yeah. that
1: link. When does, when does the book come out? Like, when is it not pre-order? Like, when, is, when can we read the book?
2: It comes out on February 7th. Exciting. Love it. That's That's awesome. So
0: awesome. (laughs) Yes, that's great. I was just going to tell everybody that we'll put the link at the bottom of our episode. Yes. So you guys can just click that too because it might be a really easy way. Jumping in for a quick ad break. Okay, honestly, we talked about this last time and isn't it crazy when you download Rocket Money? you see how much money you're spending on subscriptions every single month. Yeah.
1: So I actually did do this for the first time. I actually like (laughs) signed up for it while we were recording our last podcast because I was so excited about it. And I broke it down and I ended up saving so much money and wasting so much money on subscriptions that I didn't even realize I was still paying
0: for. Yeah. Once you cancel them, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm actually saving so much more money that I'm losing every month. But when like five or ten dollars comes out of your account you're just like okay like you don't notice it as much until you see the yearly price that you're spending and you're like holy crap
1: I did this subscription for um the church class that I taught and I stopped doing that (laughs) class a long time ago and I was still paying like the eight dollars a month which it saved my butt when I was actually teaching the class but I definitely didn't need to still be paying for it. I had two Hulu accounts. I <laughs> definitely had at least like $100 worth of subscriptions to cancel that
0: you needed to. Um, that's why I love Rocket Money, which it used to be called Truebill, so some of you guys might know what is that, but it is Rocket Money and it's so easy cuz you can cancel all of your subscriptions with literally the click of a single button. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Literally all you do is you go in, you link your bank account and it goes through everything that you do and you just can cancel it with literally the click of a button.
0: It's seriously so nice. Get rid of all of your useless subscriptions with Rocket Money now. Go to rocketmoney.com slash codependent. Seriously, it could save you hundreds per year. That's rocketmoney.com slash codependent. Cancel your unnecessary subscriptions right now at rocketmoney.com slash codependent. Jumping right back into it.
1: What would you guys say in your years of doing this? What is probably the most common question that you get asked?
0: Is there one like overarching that you're just like, you th- when I say that you're like light bulb, this is it.
2: Yeah, probably is this normal? I mean, I think it's just so easy with the topic as sensitive as sex that we all feel alone whenever we're having some sort of struggle. And we've heard is this normal for some of the most basic things. Like, is it normal that I want to make out with my husband more? Is it normal that sometimes after sex, like, it feels a little disappointing? Like, very simple things. Um, but I think people just really struggle with feeling like, there's something wrong with me. I must be broken in yeah. some way. Yeah,
3: like, like, you're the only person that this has ever happened to in the history mm-hmm. of the world.
0: Yep. I think that you guys do... Uh, good job on your like Instagram and your reels and stuff to address those like normalcies because uh, people come together and like all of your followers and like a hundred percent of the time people can connect to somebody else because it's, it's so normal. So, so normal. I just applaud you guys on that. I think that's really cool. Um, So now, kind of going into more of our Q and A of questions we got, we were just curious what the like biggest question you guys had, um, in case that was something that our like listeners asked, um, which we did get a lot of. A lot. A lot of. Is this normal? Is this normal? So I'm glad you guys. You asked
1: them if this is normal. I'm like maybe like go (laughs) into (laughs) the sugar.
0: Yeah. So I think something big that. Our questions kind of focus on is obviously motherhood, postpartum um, feelings because we're moms and a lot of our audience are moms with young kids, and the biggest thing that they feel is a zero sex drive and b being really touched out by 10 PM. the time night comes and your husband's like, "I'm home from work, like let's do it," and you're like, "Get the frick away from me, like I don't want to be touched." You know, and so is that
1: normal? Yes. <laughs> um, yes. yeah.
0: So what what, what are your guys' usual answers for that? Um, that you could give our audience and then also if there's a certain guide or course that could help with that, that they could refer to as well.
2: Yeah, so it is very normal to struggle with these things postpartum. So normal that we do have a course for it. We call it MILFs, Dilfs and PILFs. <laughs> Reigniting intimacy for parents. Oh, I love that. Um, I love that. Yeah, (laughs) Like want to get back to that MILF energy. So I think, okay, let me start like really broad first. A lot of times people will tell us like, you know, why did my sex life change so much after having kids? And it's like, everything in your life changes after having kids. Like, why would your sex life be any different? But I think so many women just – and and men, people of all genders – like, you go into parenthood not being prepared at all. I mean, if you're lucky, it's like you have that six-week checkup where your doctor's just like, okay, you're probably not going to die if you have sex, so go back to it. And so a lot of women have that that time frame in their heads of like six weeks. Okay, I should be back to normal. Everything should be ready to go. But, you know, in the rest of your life, you're not feeling like my life is completely normal and everything's back after six weeks. You're like, I just had a baby and everything is different and I'm not sleeping and I have more anxiety and I don't have as much alone time. And I'm wondering, am I doing everything right? And I don't know how, like, our family works now as three people instead of two. So it's just... This monumental change. I think it's really important to normalize that and to help parents like feel more prepared going into this season. Yeah, when I, so, I had my daughter, yeah.
1: I had um, I had a fourth degree tear, and so that was obviously very traumatic and I went to my six-week checkup and Jamie was with me and he literally walked in he asked me like if I was doing okay and I was like yeah I'm doing good you know fourth degree tear whatever and he like started to like walk out of the room and I was like um I haven't like looked down there and terrified can you like check like I'm I had an hour and a half of stitches like Am I normal? He's like, yeah, you're, you're cleared to have sex. I'm like, you didn't even look, do I even have my sister look like I need to know that like it looks okay. And he was like, oh yeah, I guess I can check you. And I'm like, to me, that was like, I needed, I needed to be checked and I didn't have that. And I was so scared to have sex again because my whole body changed after I gave birth. It's, it's terrifying
2: absolutely and that that just horrifies me for you that like and me that's too. that's so normal so like that's common. the standard of what women get you know just like okay yeah sure six weeks and it's like what it's this totally arbitrary timeline and so it, those kinds of stories make me really upset but I think just yeah helping moms recognize like there we don't need to put this pressure on you there's already so much freaking pressure to just bounce back like nothing yep. happened you know, and it's just not the case and it's not fair to to put those kinds of expectations. So when we talk about like being touched out, this is one of those terms that, like, so many women, when when they realize, like, oh, there's a word for this, a phrase for this, because it's, it's another one of those things that we feel so alone in. Like, how can I love my partner so much? And, like, this is my person in the world, but, like, he puts a fingertip on me and I want to scream, you know? Yep. Like, how can that happen? But, you know, being touched out is the, it's basically your body's way of, of like crying out for help and saying like I need a little bit of space because when you become a mom and even if you have a relationship that's very balanced and you guys are trying your best to like be a team and be a you know partnership in it, there are things that you are doing as a mom that your partner cannot do and things that your partner will just never fully understand. Yep. And so that experience of like your body has not been yours for many months – It is continuing to not be yours. And now it's like it's, uh, you know, keeping another little human alive. You're, you know, being relied on. You're being, you know, wanting to hold you all the time. Be held and like be close to you. And all of us have a limit to how much like physical contact we can have and I know this is hard to talk about with motherhood because you get all this pressure of like you're supposed to love your baby and do everything and be the perfect mom and it feels weird to say like sometimes I get really overloaded and like I can't have any more touch or any more anyone else grabbing at me or needing something from me but it's it's a reality it's very very real and so when you're touched out, it's just your body has gone past its capacity for physical contact. So the best thing to do when you're experiencing that is you need a little bit of alone time. And we've talked about this before that like yeah. we know this is something that's so much easier said than done. Yes. Like most yes. people, especially in those early days are like, you know, I-, I feel lucky if I get to go to pee by myself. Yep. That's it. <laughs> but, um, you know, even if it's like taking 60 seconds to lock yourself in the bathroom or in the closet and just to like cut off all other stimulation. So a big issue that happens is a lot of people try to take a break but then we get on our phones And we're getting just like bombarded by more stimulation and it never feels like a break. So if you can take even 60 seconds to just close your eyes and take some deep breaths, that can be a great way to like reset your body and just come back home into your own skin.
3: Yeah. And another thing that we like to try to share, you know, with partners is just like is describing what touched out is and so that you can understand hey this isn't something that that I will probably ever experience but it's something that I need to understand and that I need to respect as you know an issue that's going to come up for my partner and regardless of how responsibilities are split up or how our various loads are split up that like you know as a partner even if I am like over a hundred percent busy doing all these things to support the family. Like it, I still need to figure out how to help my partner get some time to themselves because that's what my partner is going to need in order to be open to, you know, any kind of physical touch or contact with me as well. And like, I think, you know, a lot of partners, if they don't understand how this work, then they just take it really personally when they're like, oh, you like I why can't I touch you like what's wrong you know Mm -hmm. something must be wrong between us but just understanding like that you know there are some very simple things that we can do that don't take a lot of time to be able to give our partner the space in order for us to be able to come back together and have the type of relationship that we want to be able to have
1: this is another time that that communication like really comes into play of communicating with your partner that it has, doesn't have anything to do with you. It just has to do with the way that I'm feeling right now, which is another really good reason to talk about communication. Yes. No, I love that. That's great. I guess this kind of goes a little bit into that as well. What to do when one partner has a really high sex drive and the other one has a really low sex drive. How can you find a compromise and meet in the middle um, where you're both feeling equally fulfilled?
2: So our favorite place to start for this, and this is one of the most common questions too. So it's also important to normalize like in every relationship, you're going to have mismatched sex drives. Like it would be wild to find a partner who wants sex the exact same time, every single time, the same kind of sex, like, you know, every time it just doesn't exist. So part of it's like, let's normalize. You're going to have that mismatch. But our best starting point for this is understanding your sex drive type. So a lot of people don't realize that there are two types um, responsive and spontaneous and the two types boil down to where you feel desire first. So do you feel it in like mentally like the idea of sex sounds good or do you feel it in your body like your body is going through those physiological things of getting ready and interested and excited for sex. So when we see sex drive portrayed like on TV and in the movies, what we're seeing is spontaneous desire, which is where you're feeling it mentally first. So you'll see a character just yep. kind of like, yep. it's spontaneous out of nowhere. Yeah, like, like they, look the at e- yeah, yeah. they look at each other
3: and all of a sudden, like they're it's tearing time. clothes off. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. So that's how most of us think our sex drive is supposed to work, that it's just supposed to, you know, pop out of nowhere like that.
3: Yeah, so then like what that would mean is like if one partner – has a spontaneous sex drive and sort of spontaneously initiates sex that the other partner magically all of a sudden is like, oh, hell yeah, I want this right now (laughs) too. And, you know, I think, and so then what you're describing when someone is saying, hey, like, I feel like I have a lower sex drive, they feel like they have a lower sex drive because in that moment, they're not want, you know, they're Mm -hmm. not enthusiastic about it.
2: So the re- responsive sex drive is the other way around. It's when you feel desire in your body first and then your head kind of kicks in and is like, oh yeah, this is seeming interesting. So the classic thing that will happen for a responsive type is if you're in the middle of sex or even you just finish sex and you're thinking like, that was really fun. Why don't I want that more often? that's responsive because it's like you had your your body was being stimulated and then your brain kind of caught up and was like, oh, that was fun. That, that was enjoyable. Sex is good. So for a responsive type, you're not going to get – that like mental desire that pops up out of nowhere and if if some if your partner was to ask you throughout the day like do you want to have sex your answer is almost always going to be no because your body has to lead first not your brain yeah yep so understanding that can be really really valuable for people and it, it does tend to be that men are more often the spontaneous partner yeah. and women are more That's often the say. responsive partner <laughs> so for a lot of women have told us like oh my gosh this makes so much sense I'd never like realized that these Types were a thing before, and now I realize like I'm not broken. Nothing's wrong with me. So it's like each type has their the challenges that come along with it. So for somebody who's spontaneous, you might think sex sounds fun. I want to go have it, but your body might not respond immediately. So maybe you don't get hard, and then you feel really embarrassed of like, oh God, what's wrong with me? So that can be the challenge there. Mm-hmm. And obviously, the challenge with responsive is like if you if your brain is like, yeah, no, don't want sex still don't want sex, still don't want sex, then you're going to feel like, you know, something, do I have low desire? Do I have no desire whatsoever? Yeah, like like
3: you're not going to be open to the types of things that might actually kind of kickstart your brain Mm -hmm. into gear. So, yeah, I mean, what, what we like to say to, you know, to partners who are the spontaneous sex drive type who may be feeling like, hey, how come my partner never wants sex or barely ever wants sex is reframing for them, you know, Instead of trying to just initiate sex out of nowhere, like try to initiate some other type of connection whether that's emotional connection to start feeling closer together or just some non-sexual physical touch like cuddling or maybe just some making out or something like that and giving your partner like five or ten minutes for their for their body to kind of kick into gear so that then mentally then all of a sudden they're like oh hell yeah game on let's do this yeah that
0: totally makes no i love that that was that was a really great description um, the golden question that I know you guys get asked all the time, but it was like, it kept popping up was how often should a married couple be having sex?
2: <laughs> oh yes. <laughs> I know. We're getting all the, the heavy hitters right now. <laughs> so we yeah get this question very, very often. And our answer is unsatisfying. I know, but I was is- going to say,
3: we, yeah, there's a really simple answer. And, five. and, and, the, and the answer <laughs> is that there is no answer. <laughs>
2: yep (laughs) so (laughs) there really is not like a magic number that every couple should be having I mean as as a therapist I have worked with couples who have sex a few times a year and they feel like it's great sex they feel really connected they you know feel like their sex life is wonderful and I've worked with clients who had sex multiple times a day and felt like you know we're disconnected the sex is not good we should be having more like there's just no magic number that is going to work for everybody. So I know that's an unsatisfying answer. So we did a little research. We put together a survey. And I think at this point we've, God, had like 75,000 we've, people I mean, answered. That's like awesome. Wow, that's lot incredible. Lot so we we asked people, like, what, how much are you having sex? And we found... So 75% of the responses fell into three different categories and they were evenly divided, like 25, 25, 25. Awesome. So it was two to three times a month, once a week, and two to three times a week. Okay, okay. So somewhere between two to three times yeah. a month and two to three times a week is where like the vast majority yep. of people lay. Um, So that's interesting just to take a look at. And we looked at, um, we also asked people, how satisfied are you in each of those categories? And there was not a correlation with like, more sex was more satisfied. Okay, Okay, that's good to know. It was kind of an equal level of satisfaction.
3: Yeah, though there is a relationship between quality and quantity of sex. So people who generally were saying that they were having really good quality sex tend to to have a bit more sex. There's not a relationship, but there there is a correlation between mm-hmm. those two. So, yeah, we always like to try to encourage people to focus on quality that's exactly, rather than yep. quantity because unfortunately, you know, our, our brains are wired this way like we want the simple fix. We want mm-hmm. the magic pill or whatever. You know, the thing that's going to take the least amount of effort and have the most amount of impact. And so we think, "Oh, if we it's just know that magic number." Yeah, mm-hmm. like, "Oh, there here's the benchmark that I'm shooting for. If we just do this at the very least, then we'll be good." And Unfortunately, that's not going to be very effective because mm-hmm. it is different for everyone, but you can focus on having better quality sex and then the quantity hopefully will just naturally follow that.
0: Completely. That's, that's what totally I was going to say. Sense. Yeah, that's, I love that answer. I feel like that describes why you can't have a number. So that was great. So going back to kind of the reason that you started wanting to get into sex therapy, um, and,
1: uh, as more of a motherhood, um, creator and our audience has a lot of motherhood a lot of people wanted to know what your guys's thoughts were with sex education in the home at school um if you guys had children what would be kind of the way that you think it's healthy to go about it um at home or even at school
2: yeah so I think that the major mistake that my parents generation made was we, we have this whole concept of it as the talk the one time that yeah, you sit yep. down the and birds talk and the bees to your kid about it <laughs> Yeah and that's you know it's it feels overwhelming for the parent it feels kind of confusing and overwhelming for the kid figuring out when is the timing of all this it's yeah it's like dude
3: yeah do you do it like at age 11 and then limit what you talk about or like in your case you were like oh you know like they had that one talk <laughs> at 16 when it was too late yeah. so yeah that that if you aim to do it one time like you're gonna you're gonna mess up yeah. one way or the other. Yeah,
2: totally. <laughs> so I think that the best piece of advice is to think of it as an ongoing conversation because ultimately you want to teach your child that sex is an open topic of conversation. It's something that they can come to you at any point and say, I have a question, or I'm I'm go- going through something, or I need your help with something. So you wanna make it feel like it's as normal of a thing to talk about as like what's for dinner type of thing. So there are definitely, you know, age appropriate things. And we have a YouTube video where yeah. we break down like by awesome. different age group. Like here's the, um, here are things that you can talk about. So some of it is really simple stuff like, teaching them the correct name for their body. Yes. Body, so yes. Anatomically correct names. Like, oh, God, we've heard some awful stories of people sharing, like, you know, all these weird names you've been taught to have about your body. And it's like, of course, we're we're teaching kids shame if you're, you know, you can't even, you can't like, even say the, the word. word. Yeah. yeah, right yeah and that's so true. Yeah. So, um, you know, that can be part of it. As they get older, you can talk about more nuanced things like consent. But I think just using, fortunately, there are a lot of opportunities, like, bring sex up so if you're watching a show together with a slightly older kid and there's a sex scene like use that as an opportunity if you see like a billboard or something you can use that as an opportunity and once kids start to realize that it's okay for them to bring it up and ask questions you'll actually find they will ask a lot of questions and they'll kind of through through their questions they'll kind of show you what kind of information they are open to and like available to take in at that moment yeah so I think they they
0: they create that or you create that safe place so i can see mm-hmm. that yeah yeah
3: and and i think like i mean a a definite solid argument for continuing to have that talk over the years you know in the home is that who knows what who knows what the sex education is going to be in school, like, you know, how limited it's going to be. And also, you know, if you are just relying, even if we had really great sex education in school and you were just relying on that to be the education that you get, I think, you know, if you think back to like, what was it like for you when you were like, you know, 10, 11, 12, 13 in school, like there's a lot of social pressure and stuff like that. So I could imagine that even with really great sex education, in school, you know, you still don't feel particularly comfortable asking certain questions. Yeah. Because I remember having a session, I think in sixth grade, where it was like they put all the all the boys with like a male teacher and all the girls with a female teacher, and it was like you could ask questions nobody asked questions so then you could do like an anonymous like put you know a question in the bucket and even with that like i didn't feel comfortable asking questions cuz it was like oh people are going to figure out like they're
0: going to guess know, yeah they'll know no, it's yeah, me yeah they're they're
3: going to guess and so you know i think even if it's really great like you know being able to have more of that one on one or two on one type of conversation like mm-hmm. you're actually going to give your kid a chance to have the the real questions that they have answered
0: yeah no i i think that's great Um, And kind of going along with that, too, is um, religious culture and its relationship with sex Um, and, like, masturbation, all of those kinds of things. Because we come from a very religious family, Uh, we are religious people, and it's something that I think you and I are definitely proactive and have maybe different beliefs or thoughts on how we want to teach our children and be like so open with it. Um, Our sister is a women's health physical therapist. So she specializes. I know you guys definitely know what that is. You talk about it. um, But for those that don't, she specializes to help um, women that have all sorts of pelvic issues, pain, postpartum, pain during sex, all of that. And 70%, I would say, of her patients are... They come in and she does a physical exam, and there's nothing. There's nothing wrong physically, um, and so you know, so she'll
1: refer them out to see a therapist instead because it's more of a mental block than it is a physical block. And exactly. So she she definitely deals with that like on a daily basis. I would say, and
0: and she she notices that a lot of those um, women or girls that come in, our they are religious, and so I was just curious what your guys is. Um, thoughts and opinions were on how religious culture affects um, your views on sex.
2: Oh, man. So yeah, <laughs> we have such a such a huge chunk of our audience has experienced a lot of trauma around sex, you know, from religion, from religion yeah. teaching them, you know, sex is shameful. You are shameful. Your body is sinful. You know, there, there are just so many really difficult messages. Um, And it's always tricky when you talk about religion because, you know, we have the utmost respect for people having different religious beliefs. Like, we're not out here trying to convert anyone to anything. And we have (laughs) also heard
3: from from people in our audience who have said that, you know, that they – they had some really, like, positive sex education, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. in, in various churches or from various yeah. people. And so, yeah, we're not at all saying that these two things are incompatible.
0: No, no, no. Yeah, but
2: I think there are, you know, there are definitely a lot of religions and teachings where sex is all about shame. And I think that, you know, shame is just not an effective way to teach anyone anything, yes. <laughs> right? Like if we yes. feel ashamed about something. I mean, think about anything in your life. Like if you've ever felt ashamed of something, it's not like, great, can't wait to go do the thing, you know? <laughs> it's just like it makes us shut down. Yeah. And so in particular, like one of the challenges that we hear from people is like, you know, I spent my whole life being taught that sex was shameful and sinful and this bad thing. And now I'm, you know, maybe I'm married and I'm following the rules, but like I can't flip a switch like that. Yeah. Where I've gotten, you know, decades of messages and now I'm like, great, I'm married. I get to have this healthy, happy, sexy relationship with my husband. Like, it's, Yeah,
3: that no one taught me how to have, by the way. It does yeah.
2: not happen that way. And and know? I think so,
0: Yeah, especially I like, you know, in in our religion we're taught to not have sex till you're married and Um, If people do follow that, they, you know, it's like you're completely shut off. And then the second you get married, like all the floodgates are open and you're like, what the heck do I do? How do I do it? Like, is this, is this shameful? Like you've been told so much. No, 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 no. Um, So yeah, I was just curious on that. That was.
2: Yeah, I mean, looping back to the idea of, like, you know, sex education too, like, I think there are definitely ways to talk to kids about, you know, the emotional impact of sex or, like, how to make safe decisions yes, around absolutely. sex. absolutely. Take care of your your body, mind, and your spirit, but you're talking about it in that sense of, like, here's the way to make positive decisions for yourself versus this is this shameful, terrible thing. Do not do anything about yes. it, you know? Yes, yep, totally. No, that's great. What is a good tip
1: for somebody that wants to spice things up in the bedroom, but their partner doesn't want to? How would you go about introducing a new concept or a new toy or a new position when your partner is pretty closed off to wanting to try something new as well?
2: That's such a good question. So I think the main thing, and maybe you can speak to this a little bit since we Mm -hmm. talked about like the fragile male ego (laughs) already, like the main thing that comes up for people when you feel resistant to trying new things is because you're interpreting it as my partner thinks our sex life is bad.
3: Or yeah, what we're doing, like what we're doing right now is not good.
2: Yes, that's a really good point. So I think, yeah, especially men who have that message of, like, I'm supposed to be good at this and know what I'm doing and, like, lead the thing. You know, this idea of, like, yeah, this thought that, like, oh, my God, does my partner not like what we're doing can really lead you to shut down.
3: Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, this this is a tricky one because, like, you're not going to – you can't really break down break down that sort of that 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 male way of thinking yes. instantaneously. So I think there's there's a couple things that that you can do. Like if your partner is not open to discussing, or is just not curious about like what what is actually coming up for me. So one thing is instead of instead of initiating a conversation of like we need to try this new thing or like I want to try this new thing, it's like talking talking about it more in the sense of like, oh, you know what? I would love if you did more of this thing rather than like we need to do something else entirely because just like understanding that most you know most guys have this idea of like I have to be I have to be the best at sex. And so if you haven't had a lot of experiences, then your way of being best is just doing only the things that you feel some degree of comfort with. So I think just easing them into that with like, instead of it being like, do something else, it's like try to encourage them to do more of certain things that you really like. That can be a way to kind of- And you're of,
2: like giving them tons of compliments with it. You know, like, oh, I love the way that you kiss me. Like, I would love if, if you like spent even more time kissing me. So it's like, it's really packaged up in a compliment. It's like, you're doing so good and you could do even better, like doing mm-hmm. more of that. It, feel, it makes it feel like an easy win to them.
3: Yeah, so another thing that I wanted to mention is- um in our in our next level intercourse guide a big part of that is um, different sex positions and I think one of the most powerful things that we do in there is we show for every single sex position we give you all kinds of variations that you can do and I think a lot of people so for example if it's like wanting to try some more, sex positions, it can feel really scary to be like, oh, I have to do something entirely new. I don't know how to get into this position. I don't know how it's going to feel. I don't know if I'm going to be able to stay hard or whatever it is. So instead of it being like, okay, we're going to try something totally new. It's like, there are actually a lot of little adjustments that you can make in terms of shifting your weight, like moving an arm, moving a leg where you're in a position that you're comfortable with, but you're doing something a little bit different and it can actually feel Very different. Mm -hmm. Like it's kind of shocking. You know, we just recorded a podcast yesterday about the missionary position and how many ways there are to modify and adjust that position to have like really different sensations. So I think like a, a great way for a partner who's hesitant to change is just trying to figure out some really subtle variations and then giving a ton of praise. Like, mm-hmm. oh, like that felt so good. I loved it when you did that. Like, wasn't it fun? It was It was so cool how that tiny change actually felt brand new. And that way you're kind of, you're kind of uh, getting them used to like, oh, this is a new thing. Like, I can do new things, and that's you know for the the fragile male ego <laughs> person. Like, you know, uh, that that might be the way to sort of seed this idea of, oh, I I am good at new things. Like, I could try more new things.
0: I love that. I love it. If you guys could give one, like, where 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 can someone start to have a better sex life, more libido? Like, people, a lot of people ask us about libido and and that kind of thing. But if you guys could like where where does someone start when they're like I want to change something, I need some spice, I need I need this to be better. Where
2: should they start? Okay, I'll give you a really simple place. Follow us on Instagram. I love that. (laughs) I love it. So we show up in stories every day and we have like, you know, posts and stuff every day too. But a lot of people have told us like just following your account helped normalize it for me. Like seeing you guys talk about it as a couple every day and not like not even starting from this place of like, okay, now I've got to like fix my sex life. It's like, just absorb a little bit of information and just like get a little bit more like relaxed and comfortable with like, Oh, they said penis and I don't think I blushed this time. You know, that can actually really be helpful. Um, and if you watch it with your partner, too, where it just gets the conversation started. And so especially if you have a partner who feels a little nervous or shy, if you start talking about sex in a more general way, like, oh, Vanessa and Xander, we're talking about the missionary position in their story today. like, Or
3: like, here's something that some other people were struggling yeah. with. Like, it takes the focus off of you yeah, and allows totally. you to talk about something that feels scary in an in a impersonal way. I
0: love that. I love that. That's great. Okay, follow them on Instagram, guys, because... I mean, you guys, obviously, you have all your courses, and you have your book coming out, and you do your podcast, um, but like you said, you have your Instagram, and you guys do so much free things on there, too, so that was great, and we are really thankful to have you guys on. Yeah, seriously, thank you guys so
1: much for taking the time. I know that our audience was very, very excited about this one, so we're yes. so Aww. excited.
2: <laughs> we're so glad to hear it. and oh, I forgot to even mention our Instagram is Vanessa and Xander, and it's Xander with an X. Perfect. We will link it on our page as well.
0: Yep. Yep. I feel like the majority of our, I shouldn't say majority, I should say quite a few people knew and follow you guys. And they listen to your podcast religiously as well. Awesome awesome. to hear.
2: (laughs) We love that.
0: Yeah. Thank you guys so much.
2: Thanks for having us. Yeah.
0: And we'll see you guys next week on the Codependent Codependent Podcast.
1: Seeking the truth never gets old.